Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I'm an expert in performance and mindset, supporting business owners to create exceptional results in life and business. And I achieve this through coaching, training, speaking, and my online programs. I started this podcast to discover how other thought and business leaders create and enjoy success, and to identify the common strategies and techniques, as well as the mindset they have adopted to live their version of exceptional. My aim is simple. It's for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. You deserve to live and enjoy an exceptional life, but in order to achieve this, you will need to adopt new strategies and ways of thinking to accomplish your goals. Now, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any of these brilliant episodes. Head over to jeffnicholson.co.uk to register for my Kick Mediocrity in the Nuts newsletter, as well as all you need to know on how to connect with me on social media or join the Facebook group. Now, on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. So this is episode 176, and we have got a great guest lined up, Kasia Robinson. Now, Kasia is a business strategist, CEO, coach, and investor, described by her clients as a shapeshifter who can coach business owners through any challenges at any stage of their business. Kasia helps small business CEOs navigate the operational and existential challenges of scaling up, pivoting, and or selling a business they've put their blood and sweat and tears into. Kezia holds a BS in physics from Stanford University and an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And she serves on an advisory board of private packs, an innovator in the fast-growing femtech industry. Welcome to the show, Kezia. Hi, Jeff. I am so glad that we've actually finally got to meet. It's been a lot of complications, mainly on my part and my health, but it's really, really good to have you on the show. Thanks so much. I'm really glad to be here. Could you give us a little bit of a backstory of what's brought you to this point so far? Absolutely. Um, It's funny. So I started out my career in finance and, uh, and I still do intersect with the finance community sometimes. So I was at an event with a bunch of finance people and doing this is pre-COVID and one of them came up to me afterwards and he says so how did you get to where you know was it because I the job I have now which I'll describe a bit but he said well was that a a, like an easy transition and I just looked at him and said absolutely not (laughs) so (laughs) I am I I actually started my life I wanted to be a physicist so I went to college it's my undergraduate degree is in physics and I worked in a lab for a bit And then one day I sort of said, I don't want to work on the same problem for the rest of my life, which is fundamentally what you do in academic science for the most part is you pick one problem and you work on it for the rest of your career. And so I kind of cast around a bit and um, I ended up going into finance. I got a job in the investment world. So I worked in mutual fund companies and I really loved when I first started, because everything was new, I had to learn every new thing. And I covered a lot of different companies, hundreds of these smaller companies, all different industries. I had coal miners, I had video games, I had uh, racetrack casinos, I had all sorts of things. And then I kept getting kind of moving up through that industry. And I ended up in a job, wonderful people, great pay. I was living in Los Angeles weather was great. And I ended up this job where they wanted me to focus on one thing for the rest of my career. And it was the electric utility industry. And and that was the focus they were looking at. And I all of a sudden said, wait a second, the first time I tried this, it didn't work. (laughs) And it didn't work the second time I tried that. But I had all of this like passion for learning about new businesses. And so I, when I left that, I wasn't really sure where to go. So I turned around a small business for a friend. And then I started doing a lot of work with various startups. I helped with some financial services startups. Um, And I kept like casting around and finding that I was really fascinated by a business. But at some point, it wasn't my baby. I wasn't, it wasn't a business I really wanted to be an owner of. And I started looking at where I did really want to focus. And the biggest thing for me was that I really looked at these businesses and the one they, the success or failure of a business really always rests 
on leadership, right? You can develop a new product. You know, you can find another market. You can restructure and go through a bankruptcy. But if you don't have the right people at the top, and specifically in the CEO position, and if the business doesn't serve the CEO as well, it's never going to get off the ground. So that was sort of, I kept kind of casting around. And then at some point I moved back, I'm from Boston originally, and I moved from Los Angeles back to Boston. And I was talking to someone about consulting I was doing. And they said, well, that's, you know what, that sounds like coaching. And I was like, oh, no, no. Every woman 10 years out of business school becomes a coach. I'm not, that's not what I'm doing. And, uh, but that really was what it was. Uh, I was, you know, in the business of helping other people be more successful and helping them grow and not in the business of setting up their business for them or doing their, doing the work or building their financial model. So I kind of got there in a bit of a winding way, but uh, it was very worthwhile. And I do not call myself a CEO coach. So, <laughs> yes. There you go. There you go. It's an interesting way because um, obviously the word coach has been in the, the, I guess in just the general business language over in the US for many, 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 many years. But it's still, and I'd, I'd be interested to see how you sort of experience this. But in the UK, it's kind of just getting, um, getting sort of to grips in the in the world. Of course, you know the the originally coach she was seen as sort of the life coach, and it it got bad connotations of what a life coach was. And then obviously you've got corporate coach and stuff. But do you see? Uh, in in sort of your um, sector and niche that a lot of people are embracing the power of coaching? Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, so one of the things about coaching is that if you're in coaching, the only people you engage with are the people who embrace the power of coaching, right? So we don't, um, uh, I know you, you've interviewed so many people and, and this is always a theme that comes up and even for you, you know, the people that you work with is if somebody doesn't want help, that I, I can't help them. I'm not here to convince you that you want help. Um, so, but I have noticed sometimes it's the language to your point. Uh, one of the things with a lot of my referral partners, cause I, most of my business comes through word of mouth and through um, partners in my network is that I just tell, I say, just tell them, you know, someone who works with businesses like this, tell them, tell the CEO, you know, someone who can help. Would they like an introduction? You don't have to say what I do. We don't have to call me a coach or a consultant, whatever you're comfortable with. All you want to do is someone presents a problem to you. It comes up and you say, so there's two questions. One you say is, who's helping you with that? And so they know, right? Sometimes people don't even realize there is any way to get help outside. They're so locked into themselves and to the idea they got to do it themselves. And then I said, would you like to meet someone who works with businesses like yours? through with challenges like these. So I have kind of sidestepped generally in a lot of times with people who are a little weird or squishy about the word coach, I've sidestepped it. But I also, I think the hardest thing for us in coaching is just that there's no, there isn't a definition of it. Um, and there isn't a definition in sports coaching either. And this is one of those things that people get into is that it's really different if you're a marathoner, your coach, like they, you, they trained you up and then you're off, right? But they can't run that race with you. They can't even sit in a pace car. You've got to run the race by yourself. They may not even be in the country where you are running that race uh, versus somebody who like an American football where you check in and there's literally like prescribed plays and each position has a very specific role to play. And there's a lot less um, opportunity for variation among the individual players. So there's a pretty wide range. And I would say I'm much more of like a, you know, the ultra marathon kind of coach. Like I'm here to pace you and to be a co-pilot, but it's your race. It's your life. It's your business. And I'm, I'm just really rooting for you and trying to help set you up for success. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So um, what, what sort of other, some of the biggest challenges you're sort of seeing with either you know prospects or the types of clients or the types of businesses that you're dealing with? I mean, one of the biggest ones is the process of learning to delegate. Uh, my clientele 
almost exclusively, I would say actually a hundred percent. I would say everybody I work with is, is a first time CEO because either they started the business at which point this is the first time they've been their CEO of it, or sometimes they came from outside. Maybe there was a, a turnaround or restructure, but they were almost always a COO or CFO very different, right? They were not responsible for the care and feeding of the whole organization and all of the people who work there. And so one of the things that is really hard is my clients are so good at the job, like they were so good at selling real estate that they now have this great big team, right? Or they were so good at doing construction that they now have like an entire contracting business. And it's one of those things is to really help them understand how to step out of doing the work, right? Working in the business to the working on the business. Um, and specifically, you know, there's, there's sort of, for me, I do a lot of behavioral assessments with people. We do a lot of that because the sources of control, the reason somebody won't delegate are different. They are not a uniform, oh, you're a control freak. That's why you won't delegate. Some people just don't know how to do it. Other people actually don't, haven't built the team around them that can be delegated to, right? And we have to get into why are you not attracting people who could be delegated to? So there's a lot of times when I get some people, they just are real particular about one thing. You know, I have one person, he was like, you're going to have to pry the books out of my cold, dead hands. Who's selling this business. The last thing, and it was just, it took time to get him comfortable and to get his relationship with money to the place where he could be comfortable bringing in an expert uh, to come in and, and manage more the financial, do the financial management for the business. It's, it's interesting as well, because also sometimes it's, it's they don't have the patience to let someone learn. Oh, yeah. You know, it's that, it's that, oh, Jesus, it's taking you at least three seconds more than it's taking me. I'll just do it myself. <laughs> um, do you, you obviously, by, the, by, by, by your reply, obviously you experienced <laughs> experience that as well. I call it the acceptable error rate, that we always have to determine what's the acceptable error rate. And one of the things that is really, you know, um, so I, I had a client who had a, a digital marketing business and it was, the, you know, she was managing client's post, right? And she had some junior staff members, but she was still like essentially proofing every post that was going out. And she wanted to go on vacation for like the first time in years. And so we went through like, how many typos could, can you tolerate? You know, how many X, how many Y? Because but if we look back over the last five years of your posting, were there no typos in there? Of course not. So, and then we went through a test period where she delegated and she just checked in at the end of like a couple of days. And then we went out to a week and then we went out to like her, then she went on vacation. So got to the place where she, she built her confidence in the team. And also the person who was working for her was going to be handling a lot of this had to take responsibility. There was no one to check, right? It became their responsibility to make sure there was actually not a typo because they they couldn't depend upon their boss, the owner of the company to do it. So, but that was one where sometimes, like I said, it's baby steps. You just got to start. And and another one is, do they, is it even clear how to do it? People say, oh, it's so every time you said this one, I get a lot. I have a, a great client who's an in, have very high-end interior design firm. And at the beginning, it was like, well, every project is so different. And I was like, absolutely. But also no. Like, okay, how do you decide? Because you have to quote, you know, how do you come up with your estimates? And so we began to build out what were the kind of prototypical projects. And then how would you, I was like, there's a way you come up with the number in your head. So we just got to take that out, put it onto paper, and then you can begin to train someone. And in a lot of that, it was also began to realize that his, he was not charging enough in certain areas, right? He even needed to raise fees in certain places. So there were a lot of things. But I, I think part of it being a coach is to say, this may not be overnight. Right? It's, it, I'm here to, right? So we're going to build the, the capacity 
to delegate. Yeah, I, I always tell my clients about it's it's about conscious incompetence. Absolutely. You know, it's that you, you start. I, I think it's interesting as well because you talk about that sort of developing the muscle, like normally they would expect to do, but for some reason you bring it into the business side and the, their patience level just completely tanks and they expect, and it's, it's the, it's the, also the power of one teaching the key members who you are wanting to take that responsibility, teaching them to allow them to trust themselves because, well, it's like, you know, watching, it's like having a baby walking all the time, but instead of letting them, them walk you're holding them all the time so they don't fall there's got to be that bit because as much as we don't like making mistakes everyone learns from their mistakes and no one wants to make a mistake but that's part and parcel and i think it's that but also you it's the power of as best you can standardizing your processes so um i remember working with one um client and we we were going through stuff and we said we need to it was about helping them standardize the situation so it didn't matter who came in they were able to go okay step one to step whatever it was this is what needs to be done and very quickly it becomes you become well you move towards that unconscious competence but it's it's about just allowing themselves to travel through that well it's interesting um, there's sort of two things that came up, but one of them, one is I, I and I love to talk about helicopter parenting, how people have trouble, struggle to helicopter, let go to the point of the uh, wanting to hold the kid and, and not let the kid fall down, which is done both out of a place of love, but but also out of a place of control, right? The kid can't run away from you if you're always holding on to him. So there's a lot of people who the business, but you did, you brought up something super interesting to me because um, not all, but a lot of my clients are service businesses. They're all fast growing. And uh, one of the things that will sometimes happen with someone who has a lot of control issues is they will delegate to system. So I would say they're like, I totally delegate. I have this system, this 47 point system that explains exactly what you do with every single client at every single point of the way. And I'm like, well, do you know what the turnover is at like McDonald's, right? Like average McDonald's branch is like 200% a year, things like that. You know why? Because there's no free will, right? And that that is one of the things to look at. People will delegate to system instead of trust building a team that has resilience and talent. So there's, it is, a, I, I picked this up from another coach, Pam August, fantastic out of Calgary, but she called it minimum viable structure. You're trying to put enough systems in, but I'm, a, I often work with people. I was like, what are the, let's put a checklist. Let's make it more of a, what's a resource? Like what has to be done? So sometimes there's compliance has to be done. What is a suggested operating procedure based on the best expertise, right? It's like, it's like giving someone a recipe and you go, look, you can make this cake according to the recipe, or you, you can go a little off the, off the reservation. You can try a few different things. You can't make a pot roast when I, when we told you that when you're, we're a bakery, right. But you can mess with things. And so I, I do feel that that's something that can be really important as well is um, that a at least with the clients that I work with is they're, they don't really want to delegate to, to system they They resist a bit of the overly structured systems or off the shelf kind of thing. So it's, for me, it's a dance of how do we take some basic principles? How do we put in the, the minimum amount of structure that's necessary and allow, and then focus a lot on developing a team that will be uh, resilient and responsive. So if you need more structure that will surface from the team, it will become clear as opposed to uh, putting a lot of systems in right from the get-go, which will overwhelm to your point. We'll just overwhelm people. They can't follow all of that. Yeah. And I think, I think also if you, if you bring on good team members through their own personal experiences, sometimes they can add Oh yeah, such amazing value because because people are in that in in that sort of whether it be process driven or whether it be action driven within that department team or whatever it's not until sometimes someone comes in with a very very different perspective and goes but why do we do it like that why can't we do it like that and i suppose the two parts is 
one, having a good enough team with the confidence to be able to say that. And then two, having a good enough leadership team to allow that team to build and nurture. One of the philosophies I love is, um, and I'll probably completely buggerize the pronunciation of it, but I think it's called Kaizen, um, which is the Toyota philosophy, I think it is, or Nissan, where it's constant improvement. Incremental improvement, yeah. Yeah, if someone someone comes in and goes, but if we did it like that, that would make it better, they immediately kind of like look at it and go, okay, well, we'll take it on board, we'll see. And if it improves, we'll kind of like use it. I think there's having, having a trusting environment that allows people to come together and, you know, not so much you know, the old days of command and control, you do it my way and that's it. But that nurturing growth way. And I I think that ties in very well to the kind of the helicopter parenting piece that, you know, um, which is, I don't know if it's a term in the UK, it's quite popular in America, but it's like... I've never heard of it, but I I find it, I'm interested. Oh, okay. So it's it's the idea that, you know, people who have, they write their uh, children's college application essays for them. They uh, do, the, you know, drive out to when they're in college, drive out to to do their laundry for them. They there's this hovering kind of circling kind of an, an inability, like not letting the child grow into themselves, make their own mistakes. Um, but also one of the things that can happen is that the understanding that success is actually marked by the people who come underneath you doing the job you were doing better than you did, right? Success, if you're, were, if you're a sales, if your job is, let's say you're in a sales function, you're now, and you're growing, that's how you know you're in financial uh, wealth management or something. So you're mostly sales. And now you're growing into a team. You're growing yourself out of being a salesperson into being a, a leader, right? Into being a CEO. You're succeeding if the person who comes in beneath you is better at the job than you ever were. And that is so hard. And that is the piece that is, I think, where the helicopter parenting comes in. It's like, but I want my child to succeed, but I also want them to always need me. And I focus a lot in the, with clients on where are you growing to? There needs to be a place you're growing to that means something to you because you are going to give things up. You are going to become less and less, both more important and less important to the company, right? You become more important because the vision needs caring, right? And the organization needs to be guided and, and driven to a, in a direction but on the day-to-day basis, you are completely, you should be almost irrelevant. Like it should be like the business should be able to run itself without you in the, and yet you still be a really mission critical part of it because of the vision and the, the kind of work you do managing the senior leadership team. So it's really a fascinating experience because people very much like these parents who have such a hard time letting their kid go both because they're afraid that the kid is going to fail, but also that they're afraid they're going to succeed and won't need them. So, um, yeah, so that's that's part of the psychology part of coaching that we all do, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would call that molly, molly coddle. I've not heard that one. So they molly coddle them. We don't have that in America. I will have. <laughs> I don't know whether that's an English term, but that's 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 what I would say. <laughs> so you, it's a, uh, oh, well, there you go. It probably is a very good reason. It's probably very hard to pronounce. Helicopter makes it so much more easier. But the, the other thing that came when when you were saying that, it's always interesting because um, I like I like you sort of experience that with many of my clients. And yet when you look at the, the kind of like when they started out in their vision, it was, I want to be able to let this company run itself and I want to be able to go and do X, Y, and Z. But actually, when it comes to the day-to-day actions of it, it's the last thing that they think of, but the first thing they wrote in their vision. And then it's trying to get into that, that I guess, the, 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 the thought process right to be able to go, no, no, I'm, I'm ready to let go of the trainer wheels because everyone else has got it, and I can then just run the business, not work in the business. Yeah. 
And there's got to be something to draw you forward to it. I mean, I think a lot of times when people, uh, people come up and, and they'll say, you know, uh, I want to make X amount of money. Right. And uh, I had a, I had a, a partnership came in and, um, and they had been referred to me and they had some issues. And so the partners are sitting down and they were saying, well, we need to shape this business up so we can sell it. And I said, okay, well, how much money could you sell it for now? Cause they had enough business and I said, okay, well, how much money do you, uh, are you thinking you're going to sell it for? And they were like, well, if we do X, Y, Z, we could get it to here. I said, okay. So what's the, what's the money for? What's the difference between what you could sell it for now and what you could sell it for in the future? Like, what, what's that money for? Let's say taxes, blah, blah, blah. So, so you got X million dollars each. Okay. What's that for? And they were like, uh, it'd be nice to, uh, and I was like, well, if you don't know what it's for, then why are you driving towards it? What is it going to, like, they're wondering why they're not making these changes because they were at the place where they needed to make those tough personal changes, those delegation changes, those uh, deciding to invest more money to, to change the way they were managing the business. They were looking at, should we make acquisitions? They had a whole lot of really the tough decisions that were about what's my life going to be like? What am I going to be like as at the next level of leadership? And what, what am I? And I said, if you don't know what you want that extra X million dollars for, then why, why would you take on all this extra work? Okay. So I I liked where that ended. Um, We are going to jump over to the second part of the show where I'm going to ask you a set of questions. So are you ready? As I'll ever be. <laughs> okay, first question is, how much time roughly do you dedicate to self-development a week? Probably at least an hour a day. Uh, maybe more because I, I have coach. I have a couple of coaches <laughs> that I'm in. And I, have, um, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I and audiobooks and read books. And uh, so at, at least, I would say at least seven, hour, seven hours a week. Um, but probably more if I really started cataloging it. That's why we just asked roughly, because whenever you interview people, I go, Jesus, I do it an awful lot. And you can <laughs> right. see them working out their calendar, kind of like looking at the blocks going, wow, yes, that's how many hours. <laughs> right, and you go, well, and then I meditate, and then <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, you, know, you start adding them all together, and you're like, oh, I guess I do spend a lot of time in, in personal development. Question number two, what book, and it could be any book, has made the biggest impact to your self-development and personal growth and why? Well, I'll, I'll go with one. This is, this is you know, I'm, I, I don't know what percentage of people you've asked this probably answered this. It's um, The Big Leap um, by Gay Hendricks. That's, that book is uh, it introduced to me the idea, the, uh, he calls it the upper limit problem, where we mean revert we get uncomfortable with our success and that one of the things we'll do is we will it will kick in after we've had a period of success and and uh, and a core part of that is the reframing and that was just really like powerful for me um to look at it and to begin with myself and then with other with clients and other people to say recognize number one, when you're, when it's kicked, when it's happening earlier, but also to say, what was the success? Let's go back and look at what success I was experiencing. And a lot of the work that, you know, I do with people on the kind of mindset is about reframing things into uh, looking at this, looking for the success in the experience and looking at that. So that was a very, that book was very powerful for me um, in terms of just shifting how I thought about myself and my own uh, failures and successes and, and how I put those together. Brill, brill. Okay, question number three. What app makes the biggest impact to your business or personal life? I would say to my personal life, YouTube. I am, you can't tell because we're on, we're on audio, but I'm a makeup enthusiast. I love uh, green eyeshadow, purple eyeshadow, orange blush. I got them all. So that's been a wonderful, um, it's, it's not just educational, but it's super interesting because there's a lot of community, especially beauty, but there's any enthusiast you know, hobby group. And um, I've made a lot of friends who are like all different ages all around the world. Um, I'm in a couple of like WhatsApp chat groups with these wonderful people. And we're all just very passionate about you know, makeup and, and 
cool makeup looks and and there are people who are professional makeup artists and there are people who are you know like me who just sort of do it as a hobby and um and it's it's all walks of life just a really really fascinating and a wonderful community that has drawn together i mean someone had an issue uh with her uh ex-boyfriend was you know harassing her and a bunch of of people got together on this group don't never met in person and bought her uh a, you know one of those video cameras so she could document when he was um violating the restraining order i mean uh, another person um one of the creators, her computer died. And so she put a note out, hey, I'm not gonna be able to do anything for a while, my computer died. And people just called together and raised a bunch of money so she could buy a new computer because her content was so great. So there's like a lot of that um, that wonderful stuff. And I it all came to me through YouTube. So there are many other apps involved, but it all came to me through YouTube. No, no, I think it's I think I think that's one of the the if you want the 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 bright and light sides of of YouTube is is that sort of community come together spirit and um you know whether it is uh, whatever it is i know i've i've spoken to some people on and i don't actually do it but i have this fascination of watching people sail around the world um uh, i've got a friend who's done it and that, that part of me sometimes is like oh, well maybe one day who knows um but it's it's the the way that they all come together. Should there be any problems, or if they need to know any information or whatever, it's, it is an amazing. There's nothing beats a community or a tribe. I mean, that's you know that's that's really what the human spirit's about, really. Um, question number four is: What's your biggest business mistake that turned into a valuable lesson, and what did it teach you? So I, I would say the biggest business mistake that I made, and early on, and even when COVID came in, was to offer people a discount, you know, oh, you're, you're, you're just starting up in your business. Oh, your business has gone through some tough times. Oh, you know, COVID related. And what happened is the clients who came in who were not at standard rates, I didn't, the level of success was not there it was and i they they did well i uh you know i don't think that they would they would complain about the quality of the service nor about their results but i felt that they were more likely to cancel more likely to miss a meeting they were more likely to not um, do the homework if we wouldn't done something not kind of hold up their side of the relationship and I was more likely to let it slide because I'd already decided, well, this business, they're not, you know, they're just starting out. It's, they're not. And, and so I think that that was really a lesson for me. And I think it's a lesson for all of us is to, you're doing yourself a disservice when you discount. You also though are doing the client or the customer a disservice because you don't have to bring the same level of performance and that if you if the market won't pay for your service at the price you're trying to quote it at, then you got to look at, am I, I need to create more value uh, and maybe mix up my money. If it's a, you know, let's say it's an app, you got to mix up your monetization strategy sometimes. But like if it creates value, people will pay for it. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I said it's. It's. I know a lot of. You know, our, uh, transparency. I probably did exactly the same, because I think is is the way. I remember sitting at the beginning in March uh, last year, just before we kind of like went into sort of long term lockdown in the UK. I was at a business event, and there was people like Amazon there, and um, and some some really big companies, and we were sitting there and. Through, all of a sudden, the phones went on these big companies, and within about five minutes, they were packing up. And the event, and I went to the event organizer. And I was like, "What's going on?" He says, "Oh, they've been informed that they need to whatever they're doing now. They just need to drop it, and they just need to get back to the office, go home, because we're about to go into a lockdown." And I remember seeing, not just in my sort of face, because I was thinking, "One, I'm just about to speak on stage, and people are disappearing," but the other thing was. It was the fear in people's faces. It was almost like some of this domino effect of what was going in. And you could hear the sort of, oh, I'm going to have to massively reduce my 
my fee in because I need to maintain the clients coming in or I need to quickly will just offer this special price to sort of keep people on. And I think it's human nature, isn't it, for us to go – there, there is there, there could could possibly because at that time we didn't know we just knew things were going to change but there's that there's that dramatic risk of i'll do whatever and i'll do whatever i believe i need to do in order to put food on the table but some of that is just negative you know that self-talk that goes in because your assumption is that that's going to happen not necessarily that that's what the evidence shows yeah and i experienced uh after the initial kind of lockdown, I ended up experiencing quite a lot of growth at the end of the year and again through this year. And part of it was that people had time, you know, that people had time to talk. And and I think there's sometimes to go the the return once in a while, someone I'm sure the same thing will ask you, like, oh well, what's the return on this investment? Right. And I finally got to a place where I was like, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Because if we just look at what the revenue of the company did from the time they started working with me to, you know, X, I mean, that number is going to be enormous, right? We just, but that's not, wow, was that me? Was that what, how do we, I was like, I can't, I I was like, what about the life satisfaction, right? Of the the team thriving and people being happy. I don't know what the number is in that. And I started to say, I was like, even if I can get you a number, the number is so high that it doesn't seem believable. Let's just talk about the value that what what I need in order to have my to like thrive and to to work with clients. And I'm always trying to manage to a number that a business owner, you know, I don't want to charge a million dollars a year. I'm not Tony Robbins, but also I don't want to only work with people who could right off the bat write a check for a million dollars a year. Maybe they will in four or five years, but they can't do it right now. Right. But and I, I think that's the interesting thing is as well as because that is one of the challenges with coaching is you can't sit down and pr- you can provide evidence based on someone working with you and going, well, they were here and they're here now. But those people, you know, have gone through your screening process, are prepared to do the work, um, are committed in doing homework and and whatever challenges you set them and everything else. They're prepared to be held accountable. Um, they're not that, you, you know, you, even though you're not there to, you know, um, modicoddle or helicopter <laughs> parenting, however you want to call it, Um the the ultimate thing is 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 you will provide that service to support them to get to their goals, but it's it's such a sliding scale depending on that individual and the self talk that they're going going prove to me you can do this and it's it's not about us proving, it's about this is how we can help you based on our evidence that uh, which can only be through past experience and whether that person. And, you know, it's that mutual trust thing as well, isn't it? It's you trust them to do the stuff to the best of their ability and they have to trust you as a coach to go, they've got the best intentions and the best um, and want the best for me. And, you know, they're they're prepared to go to bat. So I think it's that sort of double-edged sword thing when it comes to a coaching conversation when they're trying to get you to go, what's your ROI? It's like, You know, it's it's how long is a piece of string? Right. And and the client does the work. I mean, a, a lot of times I'm like, I can't run the business. You know, to your point, I can't go. Co- we can't coach in a vacuum. You know, I can't run the business. I have found though that people, to the point of like trying to coach, pull, you know, selecting clients, is a lot of times when I have a client who's concerned about the money, as opposed, sometimes they're again, sometimes it's a business where they maybe don't have the ready cash based on the way that things have been going. And that's one where I'll say, here's some grants you might apply for. I mean, I learned not to discount, but I'll say, Hey, look, you, you, if you find them, I'm not going to ask you where you came from. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but it's a choice to pull it together. But a lot of times what I've, I've found is that those people will be the most difficult actually to work with because I mean, I had someone once and he was like, I feel like, you know, maybe we need to take it, you know, stop working together. And I felt like there was still more work to be done, but I was like, okay, fine. You know, uh, it'd been okay. And he goes, yeah, you know, it's a little expensive. And I was like, well, didn't we have that conversation? We had just come off a session where I had helped him um, understand that he should not pursue litigation 
against someone who was highly litigious, right? That was, there was a lot of emotions. We did a lot of, you know, kind of decompressing that and kind of getting to the underlying, you know, getting to their interests and what was it. And I was sitting there going, I just saved you at least $50,000 in litigation, plus the emotional drain, plus this. And within about 20 minutes, now you want to talk to me about how you, I cost too much. And I was like, yeah. Mazel tov, you know. And the valuable lessons, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this has experienced something like that in some way, shape or form within their, within their business. Or if they've just started out, they will experience that because um, it, is, it is amazing what sort of things are out there. Um, number five is what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? Well, I have... Uh... I don't know if it's a new, unique perspective. It's a different perspective. I don't really think about work and life as, as work-life balance. I think about, you know, energy investment and like how much energy we invest in ourselves and how much energy we invest outside of ourselves. And so to a certain extent, I'm like, if you find your work to be extremely rewarding and energizing and you're creating value for yourself and others, like I'm not here to tell you that you need to go to your kid's you know, like you need to go every soccer practice. I mean, I have one client where he was coaching the kids that it's a big jokes about baseball earlier but, uh, because of the cultural, the cultural divide. But he was like, and I said, well, well, how much time do you spend with the ki- with your son when you're coaching? It's like, well, we drive over together and then obviously I'm on the field and then we drive back and I said, okay, so what would happen if you didn't coach and you just drove over and watched the game? where you could be checking your email during it because the kid was a pitcher. So he was only up certain time. I said, and then you drove back because how much attention are you paying to your son when you're coaching all these other kids? Not very much. So a lot of times there's looking at this work-life balance. You actually look at it. So for me, I, I find that the key is to think about what energizes me and to focus on that. It's, inter- it's interesting because this question originally was about it was questioned how do you balance work and life but really as you say is it's 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 the blend or the harmony between it because you know especially one if you own your own business the the blur is massive um and it it is just about prioritizing specific times for x y and z because i haven't met an entrepreneur or a business owner that doesn't love what they do so yeah. if you're loving what you do, it's 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 not hard work. They don't they don't sit there and go, oh, well, I better go and do some work while I'm sitting on a beach, you know, right. on holiday. It's just uh, oh, I, I'm I'm going to have a look and see what's going on. Not because they um, are like you know, pull me. It's like uh, work version of uh, was it Munchausen syndrome or something. You know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not like that. It's because they have such a passion in what they do. It's they they do, and I think sometimes is it's. It, I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the the hustle culture um, because I see the the negative detriment that it does to so many people. Um, but um, I think what what is important is it's it's making it's making sure that there's there is that you there's time put aside. I, I what you've just said is is. You know, rather than thinking you're seeing your kid when actually what you're doing is is spending probably more attention on the 30 other children running around than actually on yours. So you can use that more wisely and actually spend more quality time on the drive back when you're actually engaged, because actually probably what you've done is you've spent more time watching your son or kid do something than actually what you've done when you've been on the pitch. So it, it, it is it's a. It's that it's because balance is never going to be achieved. 50-50 split between work and life is never, ever going to be achieved. And I think it's that myth that people go, no, no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get balance in my life. It's like, it's like not even Yoda managed that. So, you know, it's just try to do some stuff that allows you to feel that you're putting in your worth on both Um Certainly, that's my view anyway. Well, and we can, I, I like to focus with clients on, and with, in general, with the world and myself, on the return on our mental and emotional energy. And 
we get really time is a finite resource money is is functionally in, infinite you know and but we get really fixated typically as a zero sum if i have 100 bucks you don't right we get into that it's like but almost nobody can sit around going well if you had like a high energy or a very a, like a positive energy day could everyone else around you also have a pause oh sure we could all have a great good if you had a very like mentally like productive where like you were in the flow, right? Not necessarily grinding yourself, but you're just in the flow. Could everybody else around you have similar types of experiences? Absolutely. And there's, that is not, it's not infinite, right? But it can build so much more. Most people are, I say like subsistence farming, right? They are just getting up with scraping enough energy together to get through the day. Um, Don't like their work. They're therefore not able to really, they have no energy to invest in their, in the other parts of their life. So I focus a lot with people and for myself too, on how do we free up this energy? How do we take the drag off and how do we, what are your restorative activities? I mean, most of my clients would say sleep, how much sleep are you getting? Oh, and it's your point of hustle culture. Oh, well, you know, I'm like, stop, go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Trust me. It'll, it'll pay dividends. <laughs> You know. I mean, that's that's another thing that fascinates me is they want that a lot of my clients want to get to a point of high levels of performance, yet they don't look at all of those different aspects. And sleep is always one of those ones where they'll go. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I, they use sleep as a as a as a reservoir of time. You know, like, oh, well, I'll go to bed at two o'clock in the morning. I'll get up at six and wonder why their brain isn't functioning the way it should or their energy levels are tanking. And just because you drink swamp juice, it it doesn't mean that that's going to return because you're actually not replenishing what your body actually needs. And if you need to sleep, it's quite often what happens during holidays. They find that they, they all of a sudden tiredness just kicks in because it's almost like they've given themselves permission to like rest. And it's, it's that, it's that sort of, um, it's it's a thing for me is that the, the 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 litmus test is is kind of like are you content with what is going on because you should be focusing on having more good times than bad and if you can live with you know as you say energy management both emotional spiritual physical and all of that sort of stuff but if if it's off kilter then it there's there's the, that's the bit that that's our body or intuition however we want to call it that's our body saying listen and do something about it and 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 it's whether we are emotionally intelligent enough whether we are in tune enough to go okay i can hear that that noise let's do something about it and if, ironically turning full circle to what we were talking about before we hit the record button so sometimes we just we're not prepared to listen because we're, the noise is just going on too much. Absolutely, peace and peace that, and calm and ease and all these things are are uh, so. Let's they are all sorry. around us. I think that we we think of them as elusive, but they are always present. And uh, I'll get a little. We're getting now. I'm getting all metaphysical because we can move through. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes people just need to listen. Um, question number six is: What advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? I think ask for help. That's, I think that's the, that's advice that that I wish I'd gotten probably when I was you know five years old. Um, ask for help, seek seek help, right? Um, I think that that's maybe even that's more of a thing is because sometimes we we go, well, I did ask for help, but it's like, well, did you ask the right person and did you ask the right way and did you build a relationship first and did things like that? But I I really think that we're we often are trying to do things all alone. There's Barbara Sher who's a, a great kind of uh, coach she wrote wishcraft many people know her from that um but she calls it pathological individualism and it's this idea that you have to do things on your own so i think that's the the best piece of wisdom i like that yeah i know i know sometimes in especially when you're starting off in business and i certainly went through this the ego takes over and you have to do it on your own you have to prove to yourself that you can deal with all the challenges you know and it's like that's just you know it's success as a team sport. It is. Indeed. You need to get, you just need to get the right team around you. Mm-hmm. Um, number seven is what is your personal definition of success? I mean, my, I'm, I believe success is that living in that expanding energy state. It's really to um, 
you know, wake up with energy to, to share and to be, to, to experience and, you know, to have your nice things. I think that we sometimes get uh, very puritanical in New England, right, about this. But I think success is also about um, really fully enjoying the life that you're living and whatever fripperies you want, those are important, as, as important as a lot of other things. Um, number eight, do you have any daily routines or rituals that make a huge impact to your day? I do feel like, because I don't, uh, I you know, put my makeup on, we talked about it before, but there is... Um, there's a, a component to which putting on the, uh, you know, my face, this is going to, people are going to be Googling me and thinking, gosh, what does she look like in real life? But you're putting on your face. And, and I also, um, if you're a fan of Todd Herman, Alter Ego, I, I also usually when I'm coaching, I'll wear a scarf or shawl of some sort of called my cape. I've just got his book to read. It's it's a great book. I really recommend it. And I I have my I call it my coaching cape, right? Um, wearing a, a shawl or a scarf, things like that. And there's a degree to which that process of really in in inhabiting, right, living in a, a a it's not so much a character, but one of myself. Like I have so many different versions of myself. They're all me but I bring different aspects to different situations. And so that is makeup is a wonderful place to, for me to be able to decide today, what am I bringing? Am I bringing hot pink, right? Am I bringing, um, am I bringing, uh, you know, classic, you know, you know, red lipstick? Am I bringing, what am I, and to put on these and to kind of express these different selves that I bring then into whatever work I'm doing with people in the day. So, so for, so in some ways that's almost like a meditative state. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's, it's focusing on that. Obviously I don't put makeup on, so it's not something that I do, but I know I do meditate every day where I'm just sort of going in, focusing very much on that moment of now. Um, And in some ways trying to absorb the same sort of things as you were um describing and just to get me ready for the day ahead so um i mean it it it, it, it's there's many many different strategies on on doing that i I actually like that one because i've never heard it described in that way but it's it's the same it's the same principle that's cool that's cool um okay so we are at the end of the show so you could you please share how people could find out more about you um anything you'd like to share please do so now and we'll put it on the show notes at the um on the episode yeah the best way to reach me is i am on linkedin there's not too many kzo robinsons out there in the world um so it's k e is an edward Z and Zebra I A H and my last name is Robinson, spelled the usual way. So feel free to reach out to me. I'm always interested in hearing about people's uh, business challenges and just hearing about their business businesses at all. And you can also check my website out. My business is Cassia Partners, and the website is www.cassia-partners.com. Well, Casey, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I just take this moment to wish you the greatest success. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.